If you take your Bibles and turn over to Exodus chapter 34, we're going to start here. Uh, It has been a couple of weeks since we've been in our series of uh, the glory of God in everyday life. And it was this passage uh, that we've been looking at in Exodus chapter 34 that uh, is the working off that uh, then you look at in the rest of Scripture. It was the uh, time where the nation of Israel had failed God. Moses was needing some encouragement, and he asked to see the glory of God. And God didn't let him really see the glory of God, though he did uh, put Moses in the cleft of a rock and let him see the after effects. It says the back parts of God, but really we got to see what happened to the landscape uh, as the Lord went by. But what was most important to Moses and what was most important to the nation of Israel was the statement that God made about himself. He declared what he was like. Uh, He declared his glory. And this became a theme as we've worked through different passages in the Old Testament. We'll even work through one in the New Testament that uh, has a theme here that comes from the statement of the Lord. But it's a statement that we ought to grab onto. There are certain things about the character of God that we just ought to have in our soul, that in good times and in bad times, uh, and even in times where, you know, we can't really categorize it, you do know things about your God and have statements locked into your mind and ones that you can meditate on uh, in the darkest of nights uh, that uh, having a passage like this memorized is something that we ought to have. And so we as a church have been trying to go through this and just memorize this statement that God made about himself so that you have this to hold on to, but then as we go to other passages and look how it was used in normal circumstances, uh, we can then realize uh, how to take the character of God and apply it to our lives. And so uh, this uh, statement that God made, you found it uh, halfway through verse number six and goes right down to verse number seven. And uh, we'll go ahead and uh, just uh, quote through this here this evening, if you can. Uh, Great. Uh, If not, uh, read through this and uh, trust that you're working on this on your own. It's a nice short passage, uh, but it is uh, deep in theology of what God is like. So we'll start off middle of verse 6. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. And you look at that, and really the first part is the good part, but the last part is a reminder not to take the grace of God lightly. Now, sometimes we can go, well, God's forgiving, he's compassionate, I can do what I want, and we're reminded of the fact that God does judge sin, that he's not going to hold off from that, and so we shouldn't take casually what we have learned here. But I want us now to turn to Psalm 145. We've gone through three psalms, Psalm 86, Psalm 103, and now this psalm of David, uh, 145, that uh, is David showing you how he applied this passage. Showing you in the context of how he used this. Uh, And the first one, Psalm 86, is really how he used it when it came to time of prayer. These thoughts about God and understanding his character and how he applied it. And Psalm 103 was 
a passage where he's praising God and uh, was able to use this passage that way. But also, as you look down in verse number 8 of uh, Psalm 145, you see this statement once again in the middle of a psalm that's the only psalm that in the title is defined as a, a psalm of praise. You look at all the titlings you go throughout, this is the only one that is called a psalm of praise out of the 150 psalms that are there. But you look at verse 8, here's that statement. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. And so right in the middle of this psalm, you have this statement that David is centering his whole psalm on, uh, about what God is doing. And uh, you look at this and you just kind of just do a cursory statement. You, you say, how many verses are there? Well, you go through and you count, there's 21. And you say, well, what's the significance of that? Well, this is a psalm that is an acrostic psalm. Each psalm starts with a letter of the alphabet. And the problem is, is that it's missing a letter, and there's no good explanation of why it's missing a letter. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, one of the letters was not used. But uh, there's 21 letters here uh, that start off just to alphabetically each verse, or each stanza of the praise that's here. Uh, and it was designed to be remembered. This is something for the people of God to, to memorize their praise and to uh, organize their praise. And so just giving you that kind of structure as we go through it, but what you're going to see in the psalm is that uh, the follower of God, those that are following God, are going to worship God for his greatness and his goodness. Okay, those two things. Now, understand the difference between God's greatness and his goodness, though they're connected to one another. The idea of God's greatness is just who he is. Not that he's done anything, it's just his person, who he is, his character, and those things. When we're talking about God's goodness, we're then talking about the things God has done. And both of those, if God just didn't do anything, he still would be worthy of our praise because of who he is. He's great. But we're also, uh, as we go through, we'll find things, as the psalmist is going to lay out here, things to praise God for as far as his goodness. And so let's read through this psalm here this evening. Verse 1 of it says this, I will extol thee, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee and will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible, or we might put it this way, thy awesome acts. And I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. 
Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raiseth up all those who be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but all the wicked will he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. As you go through this psalm, you find right from the beginning that there is a commitment of the follower of God to worship God. Our flesh is not uh, one that is ready to praise others. We love the praise of ourselves. We love magnifying ourselves. But you see David here committed to the fact that I'm going to praise God. I'm going to be committed to this. You see right from the beginning this I will, and I will, and I will, and will I, and I will. These statements kind of is the direct contrast to uh, you have the statement of the devil when he is lifted up in pride, uh, when he is in his glory before his fallen state, but he gets raised up in pride and says, I will be like the Most High God. Is this attitude of uh, his well, his pride it was stated in I will, but in this passage, David's going, no, my pride's being swallowed here. Who I am and what I am, I will praise God. I will magnify him. I'll give him the place that he deserves. I'll give him the praise that he's deserving of. You find that David is a, a humble man and he goes through this and He's just an individual, as you go through the psalm, you'll find that he is one who is saying, I am committed to praising God forever and ever and every day. Did you catch that in the first few things? I will bless his name forever. And then verse 2, every day will I bless him. It's not just, you know, this kind of farsighted thing. Well, I'll, I'll praise God. No, it's an everyday commitment to saying God's worthy of praise. There are things that can be found in his greatness and his goodness that I can praise him for. And I'm never going to run out of things to praise him for. You know, there's not going to come an occasion uh, when you're in glory of heaven going, oh, you know, I've kind of run out of things here to praise God for who he is and what he's done, uh, that's not going to be the case. I mean, for him, one generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. There's this idea of just passing this praise off. If I die, I ought to have it in such a, that I have done such in my life that generations following me, they'll praise God and they'll carry that praise on of who God is. It's kind of reminded of this yesterday where we had <clears throat> well, yesterday and today, couldn't go to it, but you had a church that celebrated a hundred years of preaching the gospel. You realize how rare that is to have that type of thing go on, uh, where you have a church that has been preaching the gospel for a hundred years and all the bad things that could derail something like that, but God and his goodness takes care of. And I can think of uh, the, you know, the church there is Marquette Manor Baptist Church, the one that I 
grew up as a young person, a teenager, and to be reminded of some of the things that I was just looking at yesterday and their display and realizing there were a number of times where that ministry could have gotten completely derailed. I remember some of those occasions. But God was gracious. God's a good God. And he does that. Uh, Generation to generation, he shows his goodness. He shows his greatness in, in carrying ministries on. I remember this when we were out in Fitchburg. We had a church uh, out there at Beth Eden Baptist Church that had been preaching the gospel for 125 years. And I had to go through for that because I was not familiar with all the history of that ministry and had to go through and dig through. And I'm amazed that they were still preaching the gospel. They had some people in that ministry there that weren't so committed to glorifying God and, and magnifying what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And you're just like, I'm, I'm amazed that this church is still preaching the gospel after 25 years or 125 years. And you just kind of go, well, what, what happens when that type of thing happens? God is great and God is good. He's worthy of praise. He's the one that caused this to happen. If man was in charge of this, it'd be a complete failure. It would fail over and over again. And and David seems to recognize this as he is king of the nation of Israel and he's responsible for leading this nation who bears God's name and uh, he is trying to lead them in such a way that they follow him. He's just simply saying this, you need to bless God for everything that you have day in and day out, generation to generation. You ought to find things to praise God for. And so he goes through this, and, and uh, he says that you are to worship all the time. Psalm 92 seems to echo this. It's a psalm that was sung for the Sabbath day, and it says this, It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O thou most high, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. I mean, there he's just saying, not even during the day do you do it once. It's, it's a morning thing and an evening thing, and when you have those type of statements, when you talk about morning and evening, you're talking about everything in between. All the time, believers, followers of God ought to be committed to saying, I ought to be praising and magnifying God for who he is and what he's done. Now you think about uh, just getting to that point. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, verse 5, and men shall speak of the might of thy awesome acts. I will declare thy greatness. You know, do you at times have questioned whether in your own soul that you have a great God? You realize at times there's a, an individual that's out there and he's got people working for him by the name of the devil who's questioning the greatness of your God all the time. I mean, he's been doing it since the beginning. You can read the first story where he goes to tempt uh, mankind and really questions the fact of, is God really as righteous as he says he is? Would he judge sin? Is he really that great that he would do that? And is God really truly good? Because in his case, that case in Genesis chapter 3, there in the garden, he's saying to the individuals there, would God really truly withhold fruit from you? One tree, really? Would he do that? Is God really good? He's doing that because he's withholding good from you. 
You know, th- this is a, a battle for our own souls, a time in and time out, day in and day out. We've got to just kind of remind ourselves, I am going to praise God. And you say, well, how does that happen? How do I remind myself of the things that God has done? Well, it's remembering what he has said. The going through of Scripture reminds you of all the things that the devil would love you to forget and to question. Because as you go through and you get to this point in this psalm, all of a sudden he's quoting Scripture. That's what David is doing. He gets to this point in verse number 8 and verse number 9 where he's been talking about the goodness of God and the greatness of God. And then he just simply says, and here I've reminded myself, this is what my God is like. He's a God who is one that is gracious. You say, what does that mean? Uh, He's one who gives good gifts to those that don't deserve it. He's given good gifts to me that I don't deserve. That he's full of compassion. The idea of that he's full of compassion is that he's moved. His whole character is that he's moved towards you. Not away from you. I mean, he's not uh, moved away from you and saying uh, in this sense that, oh, look at that individual down there. They're so horrible. They're so rotten. No, God has moved in his own soul to do something for individuals like that. He's full of compassion. He's slow to anger. That phrase uh, we'll look at more detail of what it means as it's played out in the history of the nation of Israel that God is long-suffering. But the idea there is God is long of nostril. So what do you mean the longer nostril? Does that mean you have a longer nose than most people? It means this, that he's holding his breath longer before responding. Most of us we would call short-fused. We're individuals that immediately respond to something that happens and we are ready to voice our opinion and our anger and our frustration and our wrath. God is not like that. It's of his mercies that we are not consumed. His mercies fail not as you consider what the scripture says. I mean, you look at this and you go, he's of great mercy. The idea of great, it's abundant, it's greater than all of our sin. God's a great God. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. There's not a place on this globe that escapes the mercy and the kindness and the graciousness of God. It's because God is everywhere. He's not absent from anything. And he's there with us. And so David, he is committed to worshiping God. And and what reminds him of this is as he considers what God has said about himself and he reviews this in the word of God time and time again he would meditate on what God was like I mean, you think about how the Psalms start off. We're in Psalm 145, but you go back to the first Psalm and you're reminded of this uh, individual that's the blessed individual. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scorner, scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he what? Meditate day 
and night. When you think about what it means to meditate, it means to chew over something time and time again. I mean, the, the, the common illustration used with this is a cow chews on its food all day to, in order to digest it, to make it useful. So it is that believers, they're chewing on what they know about God and they're mulling it over and they're thinking about this and it's their thought in the morning, it's their thought in the midday, it's their thought in the evening and it's what they consider the things of God and it's their meditation and you say, well, a person like that is blessed, yeah, because they realize all the things that God has done. They realize how great He is. They realize how good He is. It's individuals like that that are not like the chaff that is blown away, but they're like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. They've got solidity. They've got a solidness because they've got their understanding based on who God is, what He's like. There's a strength to an individual like the het. And so as you think about this, the individual that is well praising God is one who's meditating and considering what God has said about himself. There are times where God does really incredible things in your life. And those are the times we oftentimes go, well, God was with me in that occasion. Let me tell you the incredible things God did. I mean, that kind of goes back to the whole passage where it says in verse number 6, men shall speak of the terrible acts of God or the mighty, incredible acts of God. See, sometimes God does incredible things and people recognize Him through events. I mean, I think of the story of Rahab and this one who you would think would have no connection to God, but she had heard about the nation of Israel and how the Red Sea had parted so many years before, and she had seen what the nation of Israel had done through the power of their God to the nations that were on the other side of the river. And she understood this, and she made this statement, for we have heard now how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, which you did to the king of the Amorites that were on the other side of Sihon, or the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our heart did melt, neither did there remain any courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. I mean, sometimes God does work through events uh, and people are moved by events and they go, this God is a God. But more often than not, people are going to be changed by what normal practice, just considering what's written in the Word of God. We shouldn't be looking for just mere events to go, okay, my God's a great God. No, you find confirmation time and time again meditating on the Word of God. And then you do see some of those incredible things out in our world that God does. The incredible things that He does for us personally. And you're reminded of the fact, yes, we have a great God, but it's based on what you already know and consider and have meditated about Him. You think about this, that God's greatness and goodness is able to affect anyone. 
Because as you look at this passage, it says in verse number 11, they shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth through all generations. You know what name you ought to write next to that statement? A passage like that when it's talking about individuals praising God. You ought to write down Nebuchadnezzar. Because Nebuchadnezzar, as you realize that his story is in the middle of the book of Daniel, which talks about the kingdom of God, what God is doing in this world, what he's looking to eventually establish uh, here on this earth, and what he's doing in the kingdoms of men. And you have an individual there who is so prideful, one who is given to the glorification of himself and how wonderful and fantastic he is, and he was. In fact, as you look through the story of Daniel, you'll find that in Daniel chapter 1 or Daniel chapter 2, there's this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has is of statue. And, and that statue, the top part of it made of gold, represented Nebuchadnezzar. And you see what happens in chapter 3. He doesn't get the message that God is great and that God is eventually going to rule over the earth. No, he makes a statue representing himself for everybody to worship because he's so great and incredible. You have the story of Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace, and they won't bow. But you get to Daniel chapter 4, and you find out there that all of what Daniel communicated about his God had impact on a man you would never think it would have impact on. As you get to Daniel chapter 4, and you have this occasion again where Nebuchadnezzar is warned that he is going to become a, a broken individual, that he is going to be broken down, and that he is going to, well, be like a wild beast. And he's looking at his health and everything he's done, and he's going, that's an impossible situation. And so there's an occasion where he goes out, he looks over the walls of uh, his palace and looks at this city that was an incredible city by ancient standards. And he goes, look at this mighty Babylon that I have built. And for that point on, his mind was struck with madness and all he could do was eat grass like a wild animal. But it gave him time to think a lot of time to think seven years worth about the things that he knew about god that he had heard that he had seen and when you read daniel 4 the, the book there is actually written by or that 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 chapter is written by nebuchadnezzar it's not written by daniel and it starts off this way uh, in verse one it says nebuchadnezzar the king unto all the people nations languages that dwell in all the earth peace be multiplied unto you I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Does it not sound like this passage? He's echoing what David had said years before, and Daniel, I'm sure, had communicated to him. And you get to the end of the, that passage where he recounts all the things that happened to him. How he was a broken individual, and God brought him low, and he gets to the end. And he talks about the occasion where he was back in his right mind. 
And he ends the passage this way. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned unto me and I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. If you know how great God is, you're not worried about the nations of the world and what they're possibly able to accomplish. Because really, they're nothing in comparison to God. Nebuchadnezzar recognized this, and it says this uh, about God, and God doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? And he ends this with a command for everyone to praise this God of heaven. This is an amazing thing that God is working out his way uh, in the kingdoms of men that even the greatest of dictators and potentates that may rule in our world are individuals that are nothing in comparison to who God is. They're merely pawns on a chess table that God moves to accomplish his purposes. And sometimes those pieces actually figure out, yes, this God is great. This God is incredible that he is like this. But God's not only worried about kings and individuals like that and his greatness uh, and his goodness. No, he's also worried about the everyday individual. See, he kind of changes. Look at uh, verse 13 where he's talking about the kingdoms of the world and that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And then verse 14. The Lord upholdeth all that fall. He raises up those that be bowed down. These are ones that are crushed under a load that they can't carry themselves. They're individuals that are looking to God because they know they have nothing of themselves. That's what verse 15 says. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. We have a God that is concerned about you. Not just nations and kings. He's concerned about your situation. And if you're an individual who has been looking to God, you've seen time and time again that God takes care of you. I think it's Psalm 37 where it talks about the fact that uh, God does not let, what? The righteous beg bread psalmist there writes and says i've not seen this that here you have these individuals that don't have what they need no god takes care of the needs that individuals have and he does it throughout our life from birth right on to death god is there taking care of our needs watching over us and to think about this he's taking care of our worst need or i would say not our worst need our greatest need you go what's that salvation I mean, we're under the crushing load of sin. We could put it as the, the, the psalmist does here, that we're under this, that we're bowed down. The Lord is able to raise up, lift up individuals like that. It's like what, psalm said, or what David said in Psalm 40, uh, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my going. He hath put a new song on my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. 
I mean, God can take individuals who have been crushed by the burden of sin and he can rescue them. And he does this individual by individual. And it uh, is a great story. And even for us as believers, there are, as you look through the New Testament, there are reminders of times where we humble ourselves. We'll find the strengthening of God. Times that we fail. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a promise of God. He's able to give you the forgiveness, the taking away of that weight of sin. He can do that. Or in James 4 and verse 6, this statement, but He, referring to God, giveth more grace. He gives greater grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy into heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and what is God able to do? And he shall what? Lift you up. We have circumstances at times that may humble us. Our sin may humble us. And we come to God and ask forgiveness. But we may be under circumstances and we just get to the point where we say, we have nothing. I can't answer this. And God goes, okay, now I can be glorified. I can be magnified. I can do what I need to do in your life by lifting you up. And I can do this. And God is there to help the weak. He's able to give strength to them. He's able to feed uh, individuals. And sometimes you even think about this, that we are in need of daily bread. You know, think about inflation right now and everything that's going on with that. And you're kind of going, how are we going to make some of these bills match up and be able to be taken care of? But uh, we think about a person who is going to the God, who is the great God and the good God, and asking for the daily bread. Does God take care of the daily bread? He does. He's delighted in that. But think about this. The individuals that are the ones that actually see God work are the ones who are, once again, we have to go back to this, are the ones who are in truth. That they're in a right relationship with God. Verse 18, the Lord is nigh to all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. Can you go to me by truth? Uh, we're calling upon God on a basis that we know who He is and what He's like. That we're connected to Him through His Son who is the way, the truth, and the life. There's a relationship with Him because of His Son, but also a knowledge of what He's like. God's able to take care of individuals like that. And you see the statement, the Lord preserveth all them that love Him. But sadly, there are going to be some that see God's greatness not in His mercy and His compassion. They're going to see His greatness in the fact that all the wicked will He destroy. I mean, you see that event in Revelation chapter 20 known as the great white throne judgment and you have everyone who is both small and great that come and stand before this and individuals try and flee uh, because they know they can't escape from this one who has the power over life and death, who is the mighty creator of the universe. 
Sadly, there are going to be some that experience God's greatness, but it's not uh, that they're going to experience His eternal goodness. God does preserve them that love Him, though. God takes care of individuals that love Him, and He's good to them both now and for eternity. And so I don't know what your circumstances are this evening, how you've come into uh, this day and how uh, your time has gone, but you ought to be like David, committed to considering God's greatness and goodness and committed to praising Him morning, noon, and night because there's things He's doing all the time that He's worthy of praise for. He's worthy of our magnification before the eyes of other individuals and you think about this statement at the end verse 21 my mouth shall speak the praise of the lord and let all flesh bless his name forever and ever one i was reading said this this passage uh, just kind of echoes what the lord has said ought to be our communication to him when he taught to individuals how to pray, he made this statement, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that idea of hallowed is that you be lifted up. That you be set apart from all the common things of this world because you're unique. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now that statement is just saying, Lord, magnify yourself more and more. Let the kingdoms of this world and the kings of this world understand who you are. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We're thankful that God is long of nostril with us, that He's full of mercy. And Lord, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I mean, it's kind of that this psalm is echoing what eventually is going to be encapsulated in that prayer that God uh, lays out for us to pattern our statements and our praise to him so you serve a great god you serve a good god meditate on that and you will find reason to praise god all the time and in every circumstance from the beginning of life to the end of life if you're focused on what god is and what he has done you'll have reason to praise him. Lord, we thank you. Help us not to be ignorant of who you are. Too often we're focused on self and we ignore you. But as this psalm reminds us, may we be committed to praising you and that we would meditate on such things as Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, these statements that you make about yourself. May these be our thoughts behind everything we do so that we would have reason to give you the praise the exalting that you're deserving of day in and day out so lord we love you we thank you because you loved us first undeserving wandering from you but you've been good to us may we be individuals that as we go about our, our task in this world may it be very well known from our mouth that you're our god that you're a great god and that you're always good
may we not give a wrong impression of what you're like to this world that we live in, but may they see reflected correctly who you are in the way that we praise you and how we talk about you day and night. So Lord, thank you for saving us. We praise you in your son's name. Amen. Hymn of closing this evening is hymn number 261. It's simply a song of just trusting who God is and we trust God. We live our life out in obedience, praise to Him. And so uh, we'll sing Trust and Obey, the first verse of this, and uh, just to remind ourselves of how great God is that we put our confidence in Him, live our life, and we live a life of praise to Him for what He has done. And so we'll sing the first verse of this, 261. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll sing uh, this uh, here, Trust and Obey. When we walk with